Welcome to Scale and Bail with John Woolley and Ben Zawalski, presented to you by Innovate. This weekly podcast is designed for those of you that are looking for ways to be more efficient and effective in the gym without feeling like you have to max out every workout. We'll be covering topics relative to all aspects of fitness, and we'd love to spend time with you here each and every week, so get subscribed on all your favorite podcast apps and YouTube. Now on to the show. Ben Zawolski, how's it going? I think you pronounce it better than I do, John. I get close. I think I get close. It seemed pretty I, good. It's better than we pronounce it in Maryland, so I feel like it's pretty <laughs> decent. I played it for you a minute ago, but somebody sent us a voicemail this morning of the actual Polish pronunciation, and this is why I love the internet, because you ask for something and someone from Poland sends you the answer. The <laughs> I, one day I will visit Poland and I will be a better Polish person from actually I, visiting the motherland. When I first started the page, uh, the meme page three years ago or two and a half years ago, I made some offhanded comment, offhanded comment about how Canadians were the world's best alcoholics. And for some reason I pissed off all of Australia who apparently has that as their claim to fame. And I got like, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating to say I got a couple of dozen DMS from people in Australia. Literally they call me the C word, which is very affectionate in Australia for some reason. Yeah, they like that. They like that word down there. They love that word. Down into. Yeah. And they were just hammering me until I did an actual apology. And then they all came back in loving me again. I'm like, the internet is so weird. Still calling you the C word because that's what they do, right? Oh yeah. They did both ways. So when they're mad at me, they called me that. When they were happy with me, they called me that. So. Well, the other C word is Canadian and we actually have a Canadian here with us right now. That's right. You have, you have like a whole team with you there at the Wad Prep headquarters. So why don't you give some introductions? Tell everybody who's with you tonight. All right. First, we have uh, Dr. Justine Ward. She is here because she is helping us, us being CJ and I and the Wad Prep team, uh, film a course on recovery. It's, co- it's going to be called Recovery RX. Shocker. See the alliteration there? Right. Um, and it's about sleep recovery, how to optimize uh the the time after your training to make sure and how to optimize your training to make sure that you're fully recovered and okay. getting the most gains out of the gym. Justine, want to introduce yourself? Why are you a sleep expert? Who are you? So as you said, my name is uh, Dr. Justine. I uh, have background in health sciences and have practiced for a number of years as a chiropractor. I'm not in practice anymore. While I was in practice um, in three different countries, three different continents, actually. One of the things that kept coming up with a lot of my patients was sleep issues. And about a year and a half ago, I decided to go all in focusing on sleep and recovery. And um, that's what I do now. I have a company called Third Sea that sells sleep and recovery supplements for athletes. We're going to, we're got so much to talk about. You have no idea. <laughs> John's no like, idea. is it good that I don't sleep more than oh, one hour per night because I have such a small bladder? I've been working <laughs> so hard on sleep lately, so I got a lot of questions for you. Who else is with you, Ben? Yeah, I know. Uh, the other uh, much more attractive individual is Doctor. Have you seen his hair? Oh my gosh, Doctor CJ De Palma. He is the movement doctor on uh, Instagram and in real life, and uh, he's the Watford head coach. And yeah, just just tell us more about you. Yeah. Hey guys. Um, I am a uh, doctor of physical therapy. have been in practice for about almost right at five years, like to the week, uh, which is pretty cool. And so I own a private 
clinic in Pensacola. And then I started working with Ben four years ago uh, to started coaching. And then that's kind of developed from there. And uh, I am here to chat about pain and training. I would never say that I'm an expert on pain as a um, the deep dive into the sciences, but I am uh, pretty good at helping people train through around and get over injuries uh, in the CrossFit and sports realm. And he's helped several of our athletes qualify for the CrossFit games, including people who are rehabbing from injuries. So I like to think he's an expert at at coaching and, and, and rehabbing people. And I've learned a lot from him. So a lot of the stuff that I've shared about my views on like scaling and, and injury management and pain management, a lot of it's, it's just trickled down from what CJ's learned and, and teaches people all the time. So we're there here to talk about sleep and pain. So uh, this is, this is your chance, John, to get everything answered uh, about your, your sleep woes and all of the aches and pains that continue to pop up for you. I'm an expert on pain too, or at least putting myself in pain. <laughs> I'm in pain right now. I had a, I had a tough workout today. First of all, I'm blame the wad prep team. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Because I was, I'm like, all right, I'm on a bike first and then I've got a workout I want to do. And someone on the wad prep team, one of your coaches, I'm not going to say who, but it rhymes with Havana. Told me, <laughs> told me, Hey, you should bike and only do nasal breathing. And I'm like, okay, I'll give that a try. So I get on the seat to bike for 30 minutes and five minutes in, I am so anxiety ridden because I can <laughs> my nose. I'm like freaking out that I'm going to die. It's like you're waterboarding yourself. Yeah. It's exactly what it felt like. Like I was being waterboarded. And then at some magical moment, my nostrils opened up and all of a sudden I could breathe and it was normal. It was very weird. It was a really weird moment. So you're, you're blaming us for this amazing transformation. I'll take it. Uh, I'm not sure it was a transformation as much as it was just odd. It was like a really, uh, it didn't, it didn't affect my performance at all. Like my, my time was kind of the time I was expecting to get, you know, it didn't slow me down or speed me up. It was just different if that makes sense. But the weird part was after, I don't know if any of you guys can speak to this, but it was like kind of the, five to 10 minutes after when I'm recovering and I'm still breathing through my nose instead of huffing and puffing. And I'm like kind of coming down from it. It was just an odd experience. I don't know if that's good or bad. It was just. Anyone done any nasal breathing stuff? What do you mean by odd? I don't know. It just felt odd. Like I'm, you know, you know, when you're working out and you're like kind of gassed, you're used to grabbing your knees and breathing heavy and taking deep breaths in. And when you're breathing through your nose, you don't take as your, the breaths don't feel as deep, you know, like you're not, not gasping. Not that I normally gasp off the bike, but it just just felt different. I felt like my recovery was coming off on a a slower incline than when I get off the bike and I can breathe through my mouth. I get I I recover much quicker. Does that make sense? My maybe I mean maybe you were getting less oxygen into your body, and because of that, maybe heart rates had elevated longer. Maybe yeah, so. Yeah, the, the purpose of nasal breathing is to kind of teach us to operate out of low intensity for long periods of time. Um, that's why we do it. Some people, um, you know, there's a lot of schools of thought on there and to like this deep dive into that it will actually make you, you know, you should be able to nasal breathe that like zone four pieces. And I don't I don't really subscribe to that. I think that's pretty wild um, and uh, insane. But the reason we do nasal breathing when we do it is just to teach people to operate for a long period of time at a low heart rate. That's the goal, right? Because if you can't open your mouth, you can only go so hard or you're going to have a panic attack and it's going to break. And so, <laughs> so, so you just it's, broke it's through like that, that glass ceiling. You just broke yeah, right exactly. through it, experienced full panic attack and terrible recovery on the back end. Congratulations. Well, 
I'm an expert at anxiety and panic attacks too. So I guess I was just used to it. And <laughs> I think we should be interviewing him today. I know. Maybe as before we jump into this, um, I'm gonna give a shout out to our sponsor. So you can has been sponsoring us for some time and I ate one of their bars been right before that 30 minute bike. And then I went and did another like kind of 45 ish minute Metcon slash lifting session. And it was golden, man. Totally golden. Like just powered me right through. So for about an hour and a half, one bar, it was great. Other than the anxiety attack, you were golden. Can't blame you can for the anxiety, baby. That's just, <laughs> that's just how I'm wired. But uh, I can certainly give them credit. That's good. I've eaten all of the bars so far because they tasted so good. So I ate one and I was like, I'm going to have two more. Hey, so you, I'm pretty sure they lasted two days for me. You got the ate granola. Have you tried the granola yet? I haven't, but I have it here at the at the office along with all of our pretzels and donuts and cookies and all the other snacks we have. Well, the granola is terrific, and I personally put it in Greek yogurt when I have it, and it's awesome. Great cool. little great little breakfast treat. Uh, for those of you guys who want to try, you can if you want to get to your workouts. And you know, it's, we've been talking about this for a while that it's you know super starch and you know carbs are not a bad thing, and it'll certainly give you that kind of that sustained energy through a workout. And if you want to try and get 20% off, you can go to youcan.co, not com.co and use our code scale, S-C-A-L-E. And they'll give you 20% off, which I think is pretty cool. So delicious. It is. And it's delicious. It really is delicious. I like carbs it. are, carbs are a fantastic thing, especially with the, the energy that we have to put into these workouts. So don't be afraid of carbs, everyone. Yep. All right. I want to talk about sleep first because this is, I've been on a mission. So I get these, um, I'm one of those people, like when I get a project, I just go until it's done. Right. Like I just, I'm anal retentive. I can't stop. And so I got this whoop band at, this is probably everyone's story now. I get this whoop band <laughs> at the games and they're like, here, try this. Well, you know, I'm like, great, more data. I'm a nerd. This is great. So I put it on and like within two days, it's like, um, John, your sleep sucks and it's not getting any better. <laughs> and so I keep looking at it and every day it's like getting progressively worse. And I'm pretty sure Whoop's going to tell me I'm just going to die in my sleep if I'm sleeping at all. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to fix it. So I went out and I bought a new bed, really nice foam bed, um, new pillows, blackout blinds, got my room cold, okay. new okay. sheets, like... I went all in, man. And You're checking a few of the boxes. I checked a lot of the boxes. I read. Come on. I, you know, <laughs> I, I can do my own research. Um, but I'm still kind of struggling a little bit. I'll tell you what else I have coming up. And then, you know, none of this is a question, but you can tell me what I'm missing. Mm -hmm. I also ordered blue blocker glasses. Mm -hmm. Those are coming. I don't have them yet. And this is going to be a shocker to everyone, but I spent a lot of time online. It's shocking. <laughs> wow. And so I, I know it's wild. And, then, and so I know that's affecting it uh somewhat and i'm trying to get on a better sleep schedule like in bed earlier sleeping in later but i'm still struggling with it man there's just like something missing i can't figure out what it is lots to unpack there yeah. lots to unpack there um so are you able to fall asleep when you want to fall asleep yeah oh yeah 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 i fall asleep pretty good actually um it's rare when i can't i mean i have a relatively stressful job but i'm pretty good about being able to set it aside and, you know, go to sleep quickly. I don't let my cat being in the room because he keeps me awake. Like I kick him out, close the door, uh, you know, try to settle in and, and relax. And I feel like I'm, you know, whoop says I'm getting to sleep in just a couple of minutes. Now whoops, a filthy liar on some other stuff. So who knows if it's completely true. 
but so I feel like I am. When you say it's giving you like a bad, like you mean your heart rate's not good. You mean you're waking up a bunch. Like, what do you mean by your sleep's not actually very or good? Or is it the score? Is it yeah, giving you a bad your score? score is bad. Yes, my score sucks. Specifically the score stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, it's all and about the lose. score for me. My score sucks. Um, I just don't, I'm just not getting enough. Like I wake up early and then it's hard for me to get back to sleep. That's kind of my issue. Like when I look at, so like I look at last night and I got in bed on time, 10 o'clock or so, you know, and I was, it says I was in bed for seven and a half hours or I was in bed for eight hours, slept for seven and a half, basically, mm-hmm. which gave me a sleep score of what was it? 65%. So if I were to listen to whoop, I'd have to get off the internet with you guys right now and go to bed right this second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, the thing is the score of 65 is actually like basically what your baseline is. That's normal. It's not a bad score. And the interesting thing about the WHOOP score is that because it looks and compares you to you over a cumulative of 30 days, anything that's in the yellow is going to be about your average. So in order to get green scores, those are actually like outlier days for you where you really have to outperform yourself. And then the more of those days you get during, say, this month, the harder it's going to be for you to hit a green score next month because you'll be increasing your baseline. So that's one of the, like, that's one of the challenges with the WHOOP score is like, it's great for the raw data, like looking at your HRV, your heart rate, um, the REM and deep sleep algorithms could use a little work, but it's still nice to have a snapshot, but the actual score itself is, um, I think it's a little misleading for a lot of people like shooting to be in the green every day. They've simply made that unattainable. Right. Or if you are, that means you're just not training hard enough. Yeah. Or like, I mean, it's unattainable over the long term. You could do it for like a week, but then over time, as your baseline rises, you're not going to be able to hit a green score again, or you're going to have to have a real outlier day to do it. All right. Well, here's some of my scores and you can tell me I'm doing respiratory rate 16.1, which is in the green. That's all right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, resting heart rate, 48 beats per minute. Yep. Great for a guy your age. Oh, no offense. Oh, right. I'm sorry. That's great for wow. anybody. Uh, oh, wow. yeah. Am I going to get canceled wow. now? That was <laughs> awesome. Yes. Doctor, I love having guests here. Doctor coming in hot. Not uh, bad for a man your age. Uh, mine's like 60, so whatever. I can right, keep, keep going. Keep going. And, through and probably our, our target listening audience who all just clicked off their phones right now. Uh, let's see. HRV. Oh, they 20, turned it up. Uh, HRV, which is heart rate variability is 24. Okay. okay. So the HRV, it's hard for me to say, cause I don't know you and everyone's got their own set point for HRV. So, but all of your other metrics sound great. Hey, John. Yes. How many drinks do you have per night? How many drinks per night? I mean, that's a personal question. Yeah. What you mean? Yeah. Water, water or booze? alcohol? Booze. Uh, it's not every night. Okay. Is it most nights is it no. every other night okay so just so you want to talk about alcohol and whoop i think that's a pretty sure, go. strong one no okay. you know more than me okay so alcohol is a like destroys your sleep it's a sedative so it essentially turns your brain off and really dampens down the electrical activity in your brain so it almost completely eliminates REM sleep and it like massively affects your metabolism. So I have, I'm a super nerd talking about data nerds. I have like, whoop, over here, three sleep trackers. She has so, three sleep trackers on for everyone uh, just holy, listening. Holy <laughs> so I have an aura ring, a whoop band and an Apple watch. And my aura ring will show me the entire night's data of sleep and heart rate. Whereas whoop, when it does your score and it tells you your HRV and your heart rate, it actually takes one snapshot 
from your last round of deep sleep, what it predicts to be your deep sleep each night, which is actually relatively early in the night. So if you go to bed at say uh, 10 PM, it's going to take that snapshot probably around 1 AM, maybe two. And for a lot of people, if you've eaten late in the day or you've had any kind of alcohol, you won't have metabolized that out yet. And so your heart rate and your heart rate variability haven't actually hit their resting point. So I'll get a massively different picture of what my sleep looks like just looking at whoop on a night that I've eaten late in the day, trained late in the day, or drank alcohol as compared to what I'll get with my aura. So like whoop might tell me that my HRV was an 80 and then I'll look at my aura and uh, actually I hit up to over 250 on my aura ring. So it's like huge discrepancies in, in the reading that it gives you based on when it decides to take the data. So when you talk about eating late, how late are we talking about here? Mm, for me, sometimes I just get busy with work and things and I might not eat until 8 30, 9 o'clock and then I'll go to bed at like 10, 10 30. So like eating within 90 minutes of bed or, yeah. or 60 yeah. minutes? Okay. Yeah, pretty okay. close to bed. Okay. No, that makes sense. So so that's a re- obviously a recommendation, eating earlier. Like mm-hmm. if you go to bed at 10, if you're eating at seven, you're probably okay. Does that seem yeah. right? Yeah. Just yeah. don't eat just don't eat at nine. Correct. Yeah. And so there's nothing bad with eating late. We get that for it's just it's kind of whoop because of their algorithm and, and how they take their snapshot of your your HRV, because of the way they do it, eating late will alter that score. Even if you like, so you won't it's not a representation of what you are when you wake up. It's like Justine said, it's earlier in the middle of the night, maybe even earlier than the middle of the night. So so it's a little bit um, so you can almost like game the score and the score isn't necessarily indicative of whether or not you are actually recovered because it's only a snapshot. Right. Um, and with the aura ring specifically, uh, which is, this is why we're, we're shooting this course here is because there's so much wearable tech and people look at the score and they're like, red, bad, I was bad. Or you're like, I am bad. And really it's like, there's so much to unpack there, which is why we're trying to give people the, the understanding and the knowledge that like your HRV score shouldn't be compared to other people, right? Like your HRV score is a score that you need to work on to improve for yourself, but comparing your score versus my score, or my God, I'm never going to compare my score to hers because hers is through the roof. It, it doesn't help us. It doesn't necessarily mean that she's more fit than me. It just, it just happens to be, but she probably is. Uh, but it, it just happens to be like, like each person has different shoe sizes. Each person has different uh, HRV scores. Um, and then another thing is like, I, I specifically kind of looping back to like alcohol and food. It's amazing on the aura ring specifically, you can actually like watch when your body finally metabolizes it. Yeah. Like I'll have a beer and my heart rate's high. My HRV is low. And then like three hours later, it finally metabolizes and the heart rate will just drop and plummet and the HRV will skyrocket. And yes. with a whoop specifically, if that happens after it takes its reading for the night, then your, your scores comparatively are going to be totally off. Like I've had a, a quote unquote, great score with my aura ring and then been told by the whoop that I'm, you know, essentially going to die. Yeah. So it's just really interesting how you, you can't ultimately what, what we're trying to do in this course is like teach people that wearable technology is not the only thing that will show you whether or not you are recovered. Um, you should also make sure like to check how you actually feel. Like, so I don't know, John, if you've ever woken up in the morning, and be like, man, I had a great night's sleep. I feel fantastic. Open up your, your app and you're like, well, 
I am very wrong and <laughs> I might get injured soon. You know, it's just like we, what we don't want is, is the, the random algorithmic score to tell us how we should behave that day. We should just use the data, like the resting heart rate, like maybe the HRV score, total time in bed, maybe disturbances in bed, you know, like, like those things can be used to help us optimize our sleep. Like you're doing with having all these, uh, you know, blackout curtains and stuff like that. We can use that to help us optimize our sleep, but it, it shouldn't tell us that we're recovered or not recovered. Is that right at all? What, what did I miss there? Yeah, no, that was great. Um, like that was exactly what we've been talking about, like using your own kind of raw data and not the score. And then looking at your own trends over time to see, you know, does your resting heart rate stay the same or go lower? That's probably a sign your fitness is getting better. Does your HRV stay the same or go higher? Uh, if your HRV is trending higher over the course of a few weeks, your fitness is probably improving. Your body's becoming more adaptable and your parasympathetic nervous system is able to kick in, um, more strongly at night basically is what that means. So am I going to have to go buy one of these rings? Cause it's just, <laughs> no, you don't have to, you can still track your HRV and your heart rate with your whoop. Um, it's just putting a little bit less stock in the actual score. And okay. I did want to give you one more like kind of thing that you could add to your repertoire for sleep. Cause this is the thing that's made the biggest difference for me. And um, it's actually, so Everything you've done so far sounds great. Like improving, cooling down the temperature in your room should help you get deeper sleep. Blacking out your room should help with your melatonin peak. Like all of that stuff sounds amazing. But one thing I think a lot of people miss is actually what you do in the morning. So if every day in the morning you wake up and go outside of your little cave and actually get your little John Woolley Hobbit cave and get some sun in your eyes. Um, like really right immediately first thing in the morning, because it needs to happen before 10 AM after 10 AM, you get into like the circadian Z zone where it's like really tough to affect your body clock. But when you wake up first thing in the morning, if you get bright sunlight on your face, it increases your cortisol waking response, which actually helps improve your hormone environment through your body. And it sets a timer essentially in your brain for when your melatonin should peak and helps your melatonin to peak a little bit higher. And as we age, our hormones become a little bit more sporadic. So we need to work harder to anchor our hormones and keep those daily rhythms going. And that should help to also improve your sleep quality. So basically wake up in the morning, get some low angle sun. So morning sun on your face. And that starts the quote unquote clock Mm -hmm. for your body to be like, Hey, at some point later today, we're going to be ready for bed because now we know that we are officially awake and it is morning. Yes. And it helps to offset a little bit bit some of the blue light exposure later in the day that like kind of counteracts your melatonin you can kind of inocul- inoculate yourself against that a little bit by getting sunlight first thing in the morning and even sunlight as the sun's going down those both are strong indicators to your internal clock well what i've been doing this is very unintentional but it's good that you guys said that is because i put these blackout curtains in the rooms like really 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 dark right so I started using I have an iPhone and uh, I started using their sleep scheduler and it has this really like kind of soft, pretty wake up, wakes you up gently, you know, and because I'm trying to full whoop, I lay there for about 30 minutes and I don't move at all. <laughs> so it thinks I slept longer than I did. It's just like, make your arm go dead. You know? Hey, look, there's a score involved. I'm going to win. The point, I didn't know we're competing, but we this are This is competing. exactly the issue that we were talking about with whoop. Anyway, yeah. keep going. Yeah. So, you know, I lay there really still. 
and I take deep breaths and my heart rate stays low. And then when I decide my score is good enough, <laughs> then I, then I get up, I get dressed and I open all my blinds and let the sun in. And my son get my room gets really bright because it, it faces, you know, where the sun rises and, uh, and then it's nice. And it's like, I get a nice little wake up and then I go feed the cat. Cause he's bitching at me for not feeding him yet. And that's my morning. So, well, you're going to take one more step and that's going to be to actually go outside because your window yeah. scatters the light photons. And it's like about 50 times less effective than actual outdoor sunlight. Have you been to Cleveland in January? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Toronto. She so lives in Canada. Okay. I know. I know what it's like in the winter. It's like okay. on a sunny day, 30 to 60 seconds is all you need. Okay. Well, again, it's Cleveland. We literally get the sun 30 days a year. <laughs> Seriously. This is the cloudy. Look it up. Google this. We are the cloudiest city on the planet. It's absolutely ridiculous. We, because I live on the lake, you get the, the lake effect. And, and, you know, in the wintertime, you get pounded with snow because of it. But most of the year it brings clouds in and I'm relatively close to the lake. So I deal with a lot of it. It's really like you get a lot of seasonal, seasonal depression here, not just because of the Browns, but because of the clouds, you know, it's terrible. Do you have a, a ring light like for taking fabulous selfies and recording videos like this one? I don't, but you know what I do have coming and I should have ordered two. Now that you said this, my, my youngest daughter, who's very smart asked for a, a sun lamp for, uh, her birthday, like kind of what your a UV lamp yeah. or whatever it is, where you know you turn it on, and for this very reason, so I can order one and get Perfect. some sun. Yeah, use it, and when when she gets that, um, it'll be more effective if you raise it up. So a lot of people right. put those on the floor on a low table, mm -hmm. but it needs to hit receptors in the bottom part of your eye, so it needs to be oh. elevated. I'll just tell her it didn't come, and I'll keep it in my room. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. Sorry, so, baby. Yeah, I know it's your 18th birthday, but you're not getting it. You're out of luck. Daddy needs to sleep. <laughs> so, Justine, are there any, I mean, obviously, I remember talking about this today and yesterday as we were recording, but um, he sounds like he's doing a lot of the right things. Like you said, like the the um, the blue blocker uh, glasses kind of blacking out his room. Um, he's actually starting to be mindful of his sleep, which which is one of the pros of having this wearable technology. Like, that's one reason I love when people have whoops and love when people have aura rings and Apple watches and Garmin watches is like, when you start staying accountable to your sleep, you're more likely to improve it. However, when you become obsessed with the score and, and let that inform your decision-making and say, I'm, I'm in the red, so I can't train today when really what we should be looking at is this raw data. Anyway, what are there any other things that he could be doing to help maximize his sleep performance specifically? Um, I mean, you've got a lot of the behavioral stuff dialed in, which is awesome. And then, you know, on top of that, there are definitely supplements that you can take that help create like a better chemical environment for your brain. And, you know, as like, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties now and certainly my sleep quality, um, took a big dive as I got into my early thirties and then supplementing has really helped my body to be more efficient and create like a better environment in my brain while I'm sleeping. So there's a few things that you can take. Melatonin actually isn't one of my uh, one of my top recommendations. There's a few studies that show that it actually plays with some of your other hormone systems in ways that might not be ideal. Um, and it also doesn't help you stay asleep. Melatonin just helps you um, to, to line up your sleep timing so that you can fall asleep when you want to. So the ones that I most recommend are L-theanine, which is um, from green tea, and it actually helps create like 
alpha waves in your brain, which you need for REM, like sleep, dreaming sleep. And L-tryptophan, which is a precursor for serotonin and melatonin, also helps you create um, BDNF alpha, which is like another brain chemical that's really important for your brain function at nighttime. There will be a test later. Yeah, you're going to have to write all this down. Right. Um, collagen at nighttime, also super helpful in helping to fall asleep sleep and stay asleep and GABA and magnesium. Those are like my big, my big five. And I'm going to do a shameless plug here that I actually um, was taking all of those separately for several years and then decided to combine them into a single product, which I am about to start selling at thirty.com. It actually is really delicious. Uh, So we'll have to have her sponsor a podcast at some point. Well, I've been, I've been taking magnesium for whatever that's worth and gives me crazy dreams whenever I take it. Crazy dreams. I took some the other night and I had this dream that Ben was dressed like little Bo Peep chasing me with a banana. It was so weird. (laughs) So weird. Sure. That wasn't a memory. Please tell me that's actually (laughs) real. Cause that's, I'm sure it doesn't, I'm sure it doesn't mean anything. It didn't mean a thing. You've got to be kidding me. Please tell me you're lying. Everyone listening, we need a meme of like Ben's face in little Bo Peep's outfit with a banana in his hand and John running away. It was so weird. It was very weird. So awesome. Now, ma- magnesium gives you like the weirdest dream. It really, like for me, it gives me like really vivid, crazy dreams. And I had a PT for a while that, that put me on it to help with sleep. He had, and that's how I started taking it. And the only advice he gave me is like, don't take too much. I'm like, I'm like, why not? He's like, well, do you want to poop the bed? And I'm like, no, he's like, don't take too much. I'm like, all right, good advice. Oh yeah. And that's when John started wearing diapers. (laughs) Well, you know, I am a man of that age, according to the doctor. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great score for someone your age For someone your age. That's a great savage. Um, so as, as you guys can tell, uh, Justine is, uh, definitely a sleep expert. That's why we have her here filming this course. And there's a heck of a lot more environmental stuff that you can do. Um, I think one thing that stuck out and then we can maybe move on to talk about, talk with this guy about some pain, but, uh, one thing that really stuck out that I learned actually over the last couple of days of filming this course is that more sleep is not necessarily better. And what recent literature is showing is that actually consistency in your sleep schedule is potentially better than just always assuming you need to sleep longer. What, what's going on there? Um, so I think there's a couple of things at play. So what the literature shows is, yeah, people, they had people who were getting six hours a night, but they were getting it consistently. So going to the bed at like midnight, waking up at 6am every day for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then they compared some performance tests with those people and, and also monitored their sleep quality. And, uh, they compared them to people who were, um, getting overall more sleep but more sporadically. So it would be like six hours, one night, eight hours, then a 10 hour catch up sleep, then a four hour night. And the people getting overall less sleep, but more consistent sleep had much better sleep quality and better uh, performance outcomes on like learning and memory tests. Interesting. So it's, uh, I think the real reason behind that is because sleep is a learned process in your body. It's like a skill. Yeah. It's a skill that you can train yourself to do better. 
And it's also um, some like a natural process that you also need to be primed for. So, you know, if you like eat dinner at the same time every day, you actually start to get hungry and you always want to eat dinner at that same time. Sleep's the same way. If you're sleeping at the same time every single day, your body gets more efficient at producing sleep at the time that it's supposed to because you've created that environment in your body to line things up on an efficient schedule. Well, it's funny you say that because since I started trying to trick whoop by laying in my bed really still early in the morning, <laughs> I've had moments where I've fallen back asleep and I've never been able to do that before. And all of a sudden I'm sleeping later, right? Like I can just roll over and go back to sleep, but I've never been able to do that before. And like my body's starting to go, okay, this uh, seven to seven thirty thing's not so bad. <laughs> That's you know? cool. That's cool to see that happening. Very interesting. But I, I just thought that was really cool that um, you don't have to, like I beat myself up all the time. Uh, if it's like, oh, I didn't get my eight hours or, you know, I need to go for 10 hours. I remember Rich Froning one time said that like he sleeps like 12 hours a night or something like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like that's my missing piece. But uh, it was really cool to hear Justine uh, educate us in this course about like the consistency. If you can actually have a consistent schedule like CJ does, he doesn't necessarily sleep long durations, but when he is in bed, it tends to be the same time of day and your sleep performance is really, really good. Yeah. So, you seem to know really a lot about CJ's sleep performance. That's, that's interesting. Well, CJ and I can competed at everything. Um, <laughs> and if I just, I had to, I had to dig up something that he could beat me. See, you know, you, that's the funny thing. So since I started doing this woof thing, everything's a competition. And now I have a team, like all these, all the people on my team and people will message me and go, I only do this because I'm beating you at whatever you know, <laughs> recovery or sleep or whatever it is. Crossfitters are just so wired to compete. And I think that's why the wearable is so interesting to me where you see a 65 and you're like, oh, that sucks. And so it's nice to know maybe that's not quite as bad as I thought it was. You know, yeah, we're, just, I mean, we're all ultimate, kind of wired to compete, I guess is my point. For know? sure. The ultimate takeaway is like, I mean, there's a lot of takeaways, but like don't compare your HRV with other people's because you have your own your unique HRV and your goal along with your resting heart rate is to improve upon those numbers, right? So we're, we're that same piece of wearable technology make some of the changes that we've kind of already talked about here, whether it's your sleep environment or supplementation or consistency or less alcohol, um, and then see how that improves those specific numbers. Don't necessarily pay attention to your score and don't look at the leaderboard and being like, aha, I, I have a better, you know, HRV than CJ does. It's like, that's comparing apples to oranges. So um, just focus on improving those raw numbers. And then that's how you're going to get the biggest benefit. So I think what I am taking away from all of this is I need the whoop on my left arm and Apple watch on my right arm and the ring, wherever you want me to put the ring. I don't know. I guess my finger would be fine, but yeah. You're going to have to take it off for your workouts. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Oh, you do? You have to, you said you have to take it off to work out? You don't have to, yeah, it's like, but it's, it's to pretty hold uncomfortable. To barbell with it is a little, it's a little much. I'm not it's a very lifting, hard ring. I'm not lifting a lot of weight at my age. So I doubt it's going to matter, but <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, let's see. look, it's interesting, interesting to note. All right. There's I been wanna... so many aha moments just filming with these two where I'm just like, what really? Um, so anyway, I want to try the supplement when you release it. Yeah. I'll send you some. I've got some uh, sample links in your It's It's legit, very delicious. And it's cool because I was taking, um, you know, cause I'd asked her and, and done my own research on examine, which is a really good right. uh, supplement research um, uh, page. And 
I was taking a lot of pills. And then just when you take that many pills and it's all different forms, it's hard to remember. It's, it kind of sucks and you don't look forward to it. And my throat was actually hurting. Like I, I do you remember when I texted you, I was just like, I was like, Hey, um, is it weird that my throat feels like it's closing? And you're like, you're probably just taking too many pills. Her supplement just blends it all together in a powder that tastes good. So I like that. And it kind of similar to like creating routine, like I look forward to getting ready for bed because I have that like delicious taste and it's like whether it works or not, which I'm sure it does because she's not going to make something that doesn't have research behind it. But like just adding that little habit, um, it just kind of primes me that I'm ready for bed uh, and I like it. It's fun. Well, I'm game. Look, I've roofied myself more than once. So <laughs> I am I am all in. Matter of fact, I have this running joke. I'll take anything. Like I was at the uh, I'll take well, anything once. I will. <laughs> like it's so dumb. I was at the games. I I interviewed this guy actually. His name's Connor and he's an entrepreneur and he makes um this meal supplement stuff. And uh, I've got got to release this episode still. But anyway, he comes over to me, introduces himself, really nice dude, and starts telling me a story. And he pulls out this little bottle and it's like, I don't know, it's like two inches big, right? And it's full of this dark chocolate liquid and it's cold because they kept it in a little refrigerator bag. He's like, you should try this. And without even hesitating, I pop it open and and drink it. (laughs) Like, I didn't even think. And and then you're like, what is it? (laughs) Yeah. After I had swallowed it, I'm like, what did I just take? And then he explained it to me and I'm sitting there thinking, I am such an idiot. (laughs) Like... (laughs) This guy like literally totally be a random stranger brings you an unlabeled liquid and you're just like, boom. Yeah. Okay. So note, note to anyone listening, if you ever wanted to murder me, the easy thing to do is go, Hey, I've made a protein shake. Try this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. So you actually, all right, I have to talk about one more, one more thing that I learned filming with these two, especially Justine is like, not, no offense, but about the sleep. You mentioned roofing yourself more than once. <laughs> what is like, so we, some, we talked about that before. So. Some people, they they think that falling asleep quickly because of NyQuil or because of Ambien or because of, of alcohol, even like alcohol can help you fall asleep quicker. They're like, oh, this is this is good. It's helping me sleep quicker. It helps me wind down. I take my thing and then I fall asleep. What's going on there? Like, it, why is that not good? Um, yeah, it's like kind of touches back to what I said about alcohol is like, so while you're sleeping, you have all this like crazy stuff going on in your brain. You have like different parts of your brain sending electrical signals and you have these like big waves of transferring information from like your different memory centers and to, to draw different ideas together so you can integrate meaning and process emotions. And like a ton of crazy stuff happens while we're sleeping. And when you take a sedative, it just shuts everything down. Like the electrical activity in your brain essentially just like turns off. So it's more of it's like being unconscious, right? It's just being unconscious. You get like no benefits from sleep. And in fact, you get some detriment. Like there's some stuff to show that instead of learning and retaining memories, when you take Ambien, it actually like deletes memories from your brain. Yikes. Ben, can you imagine how creative I would be if I didn't drink at all? The, the world could handle it. <laughs> Honestly, you might be too powerful for yeah. the internet. The world could not handle it. They would not <laughs> be able to handle the stuff I would create. You'd be too powerful. Yes. Anyway, so I've been geeking out about sleep. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm having a good time. Uh, these two are so smart. Um, but yeah, do you want to start talking about pain so we can I'm, talk to this handsome gentleman? I am always down to talk about pain. I have not been in pain for a while, though. That's, that's good. That's a good thing. Like, I, you know, that's the beauty of this and kind of the genesis of this whole, you know, scale and bail podcast has been 
you know, once I learned to scale appropriately, I've not had any, literally not had any reoccurring pain of any sort. Um, but I think like anyone else of my age, Justine, um, I, <laughs> I do get, I do, you know, you do get odd aches and pains. That's the, the big joke of being 50 is like, sometimes you just wake up and your ankles hurt. Like I, the other day I was sitting at, sitting at this table working and I pushed away with my foot, there's a, a ledge underneath the table and I pushed myself away and then my knee hurt all day. I'm like, great. Like, welcome to 50. I didn't do any, like it wasn't, wasn't injured, just hurt. And it was fine yeah. the next day, you know, yeah. just the, the benefit of being old. But, um, but I do think, you know, I have had a lot of people ask lately and CJ, maybe you can just, you know, comment on this. I think the big underlying question I get from a lot of people is, you know, how do I continue to go to the gym and manage through, I guess we'll call them for the sake of this minor injuries. So they're not so debilitating that, you know, you can't walk or you can't lift, but they hurt, you know, they do hurt. Like, how do you manage through that? Yeah. So, um, the, we have a, we call it like a, a stair method. And so the most simple way to look at it is, um, you take your symptom presentation, right. And so we're not going to dig into trying to find out what it is or the diagnosis or what, tissue pathology is going on because it's just such a rabbit hole. And, you know, everyone on YouTube will tell you that you have this leg pain when you squat and you, you know, you have a rotated tooth or something, and there's like this like fascial train that's connecting. And, and so instead of worrying so much and what we try and focus on with all of our athletes and how we present the information is instead of trying to focus on what's wrong from a diagnostic standpoint, we looked at, we look at your symptom presentation. Okay. So, Give me an example, John, like what this athlete hurts when they do what? I don't know. Like probably the thing for me uh, most often is like my right shoulder will, sure. you know, if, if I don't get it loose enough, there's just, you know, sure. just, just when, you, yeah. when you snatch, when you overhead press, when you muscle up, handstand push up, anything. When I move it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, when, I, when it breathes, when it, when it exists. Okay. Um, so, so shoulder pain, right? So yeah. it, the, uh, the approach that we'll go with is, you know, what can, you know, what movement pattern is causing you pain? Okay. So we'll just say it's pressing overhead, right? So pressing overhead is causing this pain on the top of the shoulder. And I really feel like it's pinchy and it hurts kind of up here. And then it's really pinchy at the top. Okay. It's pretty common, common thing in, in your traditional piece here. We have experts going to dive in say you have an impingement or some, uh, you know, a chromium issue or uh, AC joint whatever, you know, supraspinatus, blah, blah, blah. And so all of those might be accurate and they might be, but you treat all of them almost an identical way. So instead of worrying about that, let's just worry about what happens. So we take whatever pattern is painful and we regress it, right? And we think of it as like walking down the stairs. And so the painful pattern is the top of the stairway. And we just want to work our way down and find an entry point of a pattern that is similar that doesn't create as much discomfort or creates no discomfort. And we start there, right? So overhead pressing, it could be, we check, is it really heavy? Does it hurt when it's lighter? Does it hurt when it's slow? Or does it only hurt when it's fast? Or does it only hurt when it's slow and it doesn't hurt, right? Which is very common. Um, is it a certain orientation of your elbow? Is it pressing neutral? Is it wide? And so you look at all of those things and and you want to make, just like you learned how to snatch, right? You didn't learn how to snatch by grabbing a barbell and just like going through the full snatch. You learned 
where your overhead was. You learned how to grab the bar, right? You learned the pieces Probably with of the a puzzle. PVC pipe, too. right? Yeah, exactly. Very light. So you learned these pieces. You you learned it with piece putting together pieces of a puzzle in some you know logical order. We do the same thing, but in reverse order from when we're working against uh, a painful pattern, right? And so we just work our way down the ladder and find a pattern that's similar that doesn't cause a lot of discomfort, and we start there, right? And then. So that way we're still training, right? Because the most important thing to do, you know, your question was, how do we keep training? Well, continuing to train is the most important thing that you can do when you're injured because the body heals itself. We don't heal no matter what, unless you're going for surgery and they reattach torn tissues like ligaments or tendons. That's the only time that we are affecting and creating a healing process at that point. But the body is going to naturally heal itself over time. You just have to let it and give it a chance to. So we want to keep training. We just maybe reduce the intensity, reduce the range of motion, reduce the load, make the pattern easier, or find a similar pattern that is manageable and tolerant, like you can tolerate it. Or we take the pattern out completely and we just keep training as normal without affecting that joint structure uh, and give it some time to do its job. So like an example, I guess, give us an example of like that ladder hypothetically. If let's say uh, John saying I'm pressing 115 pounds of five by five reps and my, my shoulder started hurting sure. and, and it feels like it like, keeps nagging me. Mm-hmm. And I did handstand pushups the other day and it keeps nagging me. Like, right. What would you, what would you do with that athlete? Yeah. So we assess the pattern, right? You know, let's see you move, right? Is there any egregious movement uh, issues? Usually there's not. Right. And so we, we usually don't focus on form unless there's something that's like, wow, that was pretty wild. I'm pretty impressed that you even <laughs> accomplished the movement. Outside of that, we usually don't look at form because it's usually new. Your form is probably something that hasn't changed for a long time. So we'll start with lightening the load. Okay, 115 by five hertz. Does it hurt at you know, 85? Yes. Does it hurt at 65? Yes. Does it hurt at 45? That's manageable. Okay, so we can press. We just have a load intolerance. Okay. All right. So next step. So all pressing patterns hurt at pretty much any weight. Okay. So then we have a pattern, this basically what we call like a contractile pattern intolerance. So when the muscle is going against some form of load, it's painful. Can you do it unloaded? Yeah, I can do it unloaded. All right, great. So then what we would do is we would do positions of it. So we might do some front rack holds, some 90, 90 carries, some overhead holds, things like that, that are going to work the pattern. And then we still want to always try and create a movement that you can accomplish. So then we would change the pattern, right? So if pressing overhead hurts, we would go to maybe a landmine press, right? Or some form of horizontal pressing bench press pushup, right? And so if those hurt, then we reduce the load. Okay. So pushups hurt, then we maybe do a rack pushup or on your knees or very light dumbbell. So that's reducing load and range of motion. And range of motion and changing the angle of the pattern, which usually helps because most people are pretty specific to the pattern pressing overhead and pressing horizontal are different muscular challenges, right. And a different angle of pull on the joint structure. So usually it, one of those will be fine and both of them aren't. Then we look at the load, then we might take it out completely. And then we'll focus on just working the shoulder in pain-free patterns, which would usually end up being some form of horizontal pulling at that point. You're going to make a lot of people happy uh, here, CJ, because if I'm hearing you right, you can tell me if I'm wrong. You've, you said a lot of fancy words to say, Hey, you should not quit working out. You should just scale pretty much. 
Yeah, right? that's what it is. And we it's just literally look, what it it's is. It's always what it is, right? And we just look at it. You know, we don't use that. We we call it uh, um, uh, graded exposure, which is basically scaling, right? So scaling is specific to an intensity and a stimulus, right? That's all we're doing too. We just have a, a moderately structured approach to find an entry point where you can do it to create a similar stimulus, which is exactly the same thing as scaling. And I think the prevailing theory for years though, or at least the, you know, prevailing opinion for years is that when you're injured, you should do nothing. And so I think that's, this is a really important topic to talk about is that what you're very specifically saying is don't do nothing. You need to keep, keep moving. It might mean, you're going all the way back to the very basic and using a PVC pipe or just like, let's say this, you know, your problem is with your knees and you can't do heavy back squats. Now you're just doing air squats. So you're doing box squats or, right. you know, or you're doing one quarter squats, which is my sure. favorite kind of squat. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I guess that's the point though. It's like, don't quit moving, do something, find out what's going to create you you know, I'm, I'm assuming you can tell me if I'm wrong here, kind of no pain or the least amount. And then you're working your way back to your no pain back to your, you know, your normal performance. Am I getting that right? Yeah. So the, the main thing we want to look at, and so we never, no pain is probably uh, too far of a reach because just like if you want to back squat 300 pounds, at some point you have to create a minimum effective dose to overload. Right. So we never say no pain because that could take away everything, right? So we say a tolerable amount. Okay. So usually it's low on the pain scale, something that you can do. And we just say move slow. And like you said, the, the, the goal is, you know, you might have to whittle it down to something very simple. And the biggest problem we find with people, you know, that are struggling with whatever pain they're struggling with is they feel because they can't train exactly how they want to, that they can't train at all. And that's insane. That's a very immature and ego driven way to look at your training, uh, approach, because I want to, I want to snatch 400 pounds and I can't, and I'm not upset about it. It just doesn't happen. And I work towards it. It's the same concept. And you just, you have to be okay doing less and giving your body the chance to kind of go through it. And so doing nothing doesn't allow us to create that adapt adaptive response system. And I think one thing that I remember CJ teaching me, and I try to catch people and John, we've probably even talked about it already in our few episodes is like, when you say the words uh, or the language you use is like, I can't, I can't squat. It's like, I can't squat. And then CJ will ask, well, what, what tells you that you can't squat? Well, I put 400 pounds in the bar the other day and um, it hurt when I got to the bottom. So I bailed and, you know, now my knee hurts. It's like, okay, have you, you know, have you sat in a toilet or a chair recently? It's like, well, yeah. It's like, all right, if I threw 135 pounds on the bar, do you think you could squat it and feel okay? Well, yeah. It's like, well, then you you can squat. You just can't squat to the level maybe that you are used to squatting. But if you take the ego out of the equation and and you know basically scale down um, and 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 take a few steps back, then you can build back up to where you were or better with little to no pain. Yep. And that's the, like, I, I think the example you used one time is an athlete came to you and is like, I can't run. And it's like, well, what do you mean you can't run? So like, well, I ran a, I ran a half marathon the other day and my, my ankles hurt. <laughs> it's just like, okay, well, could you, could you like run from here to the end of the block? Well, yeah, of course. It's like, you can run just not to the level you're used to. But as soon as we shift our mindset and realize that like just doing something 
and then slowly but surely increasing that exposure without having that, that pain or the, the too, too much discomfort. Um, that is what gets us back to that, that top level. That's what gets us back to our baseline or beyond rather than just ignoring it completely. Cause when you start saying things like I can't squat, that means when you see the squat programmed at the gym and you're like, well, I can't squat 400 a day and show off to all my friends. I'm out. I'm not showing up. That's the wrong way to treat your injuries. So how do you address that then? Like, cause I think that's really the, probably the underlying question that most are saying, like if everyone gets the message that, all right, it's okay to do something and you should scale to a point where you can do it. But to your point, I think a lot of people are struggling to manage themselves through. I am used to being able to do X and now I can't do X and I'd rather sit at home and pout and go to the gym and embarrass myself by back squatting a PVC pipe. As a coach, CJ, like how do you coach people through that to, you know, get them in a better mind space to go into the gym and to start working their way back to where they want to be? Yeah. So it's just creating this expectation of, you know, what is um, going to happen, right? And rehab is a process and explaining that this process does not occur very well when you do nothing. Okay. Your symptoms usually absolve regardless of what you do. But as soon as you start training again, and you want to do exactly what you were doing before, there's a huge gap. Okay. You know, and so just, and I try to create an analogy or an example where it's like, Hey, when you walked in the gym, you couldn't snatch a barbell. Now you can snatch 185 pounds. That didn't happen overnight. And that didn't happen with no practice. And there's a progression that has to happen. Okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty direct with most of my athletes and, and the ones that are like, that are telling me that they can't do things like, you know, you got to, you know, check your shit at the door because it's not like, this is a mental issue for you. And it's, it's not going to help you move in that direction. Like you had your ego. And that's when I talk to everyone for the first time that I know trains really hard, like we're going to put your ego in check because you're going to do a lot of basic stuff that you don't like. And that's okay because, you know, trying to create a program and what we do is, is, is we rehab what we need to, and then we train as hard as we can where we can. So most of the time when we start working with those athletes, you know, we'll rehab there. And if it's a class athlete, we'll do the class and then we'll put them on the bike. We'll give them something that I know will fatigue them and give them, you know, scratch their itch, their CrossFit needs and they'll still feel like they're moving the fitness needle, right? And so that's where a little bit of a balance comes in. Find something you can really push the intensity at for that doesn't affect the tissue. If you're really, really struggling to do anything because your ego is really, you know, that that strong. Like an example could be like, all right, if you're if your knee feels banged up and you're not able to squat those heavy weights that you're used to squatting, obviously there's a rehab protocol. Uh, squatting lighter weights, squatting to a lower range or a smaller range of motion. But you could also program the heck out of some strict pull-ups pull and kipping pull-ups and, and handstand push-ups right. and get really freaking good at those things while you might be lagging behind in something else. You can use that as an opportunity to get better at a different weakness. So CJ, you coach a lot of master's athletes, and I know this has nothing to do with pain necessarily. Um, but you know, those of us, as Dr. Justine put it, of an advanced age as we start to come kind of down the hill and you know, our, our, your performance over time does decline. It just does. Like, you know, I realize there are a lot of, you know, a lot of really fantastic masters athletes doing amazing things, but you know, there are some things that I can't do now that I could do three years ago. And it isn't for lack of training. It's just, 
you know, age catches up with you on, on some sure. things. Like, how do you coach masters athletes to that? Cause it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing, right? Sure. When you think of like, I used to be able to do this and now I can't. And like, for me, it's running. I used to be a really good runner. I'm no longer a really good runner. Sure. You know, like how do you coach people through that? You know, my yeah. I think so the, the notion of this like reduction in percentage of ability to create force 10% um, over like 10 years or, or whatever it is. I think CrossFit's doing a really good job of kind of combating a lot of that. And I don't think it's as prevalent as maybe it once was. We will see it in the, say, my generation of CrossFit, the, you know, the, the early 30s. When we are 50, it will look a lot different. But 60-year-olds now, even if they've been doing it for 10 years, there's still such a big learning curve, right? And so I don't think it's showing its face very well. A lot of 55 plus athletes that have been doing this for five years or so are still getting stronger and getting better, right? Probably more so because of just general experience. Just because they haven't done it for long enough. Right, exactly. But Uh, hypothetically, if someone has had a a quote unquote CrossFit career career or a fitness career that spanned 30 years, there's a, there's a point of decline. Yeah. How, how are you working with people? Through setting, that? setting expectations, right. And not that you're, you want to say, okay, it's just going to be downhill from here. Training should change. Goals should change and outlook on your performance should change. And so the only ones that, you know, I, I was not the only ones, but the, the athletes that I feel struggle with it the most are the athletes that we've taken to the CrossFit games. Right. And, but the best part about training at a high level or competing at a high level is you age up and you're even with everyone else. So it's about trying to reduce the, um, I guess the downhill slide as much as you can with appropriate training. Right. And so we still lift heavy and we don't, a lot of masters want to say that training should look substantially different and it should look substantially different from Tia and Justin and Cara Saunders, yes, it should look different from that. But if you're not a top 200 athlete in the world, pretty much your training is going to look relatively the same, right? You should have intense days. You should have low days. You should have days that are kind of hard, right? And and so you, it shouldn't be four and a half hours long. And so, again, it we create this a, a training environment that is uh, more – I guess like mentality focus or mindset focus instead of the only thing that matters is the number on the scorecard, right? Because we can continue to get better in different aspects of it, right? Manage workouts better, learn, become smarter, you know, understand when an open workout comes up, like how am I going to approach it? Learn yourself. There's other ways to get better instead of just looking at this objective. I snatch X. Now I snatch X minus third. Or I used to one run a five forty five right. mile. And now I run a seven twenty mile. Like, how are you dealing with that specific, um, like number problem? It's like, I used to be able to lift X, but now I can only lift Y. Yeah. And, and so again, self-reflection, uh, and setting expectations, right. And just saying, Hey, there's a biological thing that's happening and we're going to do everything that we can to combat that as much as we can. And for as long as we can. Right. And you have to know that if you're training is a if you're training well, you're eating well, you're sleeping well, you're recovering well, and all of those things, and you're doing everything that you can to to fight it, and it's and it's gonna work out really well. When you start letting the numbers control you, and that's the only thing you're looking at, training's gonna suck anyways, right? It's not gonna be fun. You're gonna be very depressed, and so 
again, setting those expectations is really what we try and get to, right? And if your expectations is always a certain number that you want to hit, which none of my athletes are, right? And I have very young athletes that, you know, are semifinal contenders. And then I have older athletes in every age group from 50 to 65 that have gone to the games. And we don't focus on the numbers. We focus on technicality, right? And movement patterns and, you know, uh, comfort while training, right? And, and hitting different energy systems and just becoming an overall more rounded person uh, when it comes to competing at a high level. Yeah. I, um, my training looks very similar to the 25 year olds I trained with. Like I don't do a lot of different things than them. I've learned to scale the weight cause I can't throw around weight like a 25 sure. year old. Um, I think the one thing I have learned and I love that you said it is to set different goals. Like for yourself. Like, I know I'm never going to be able to run a six minute mile again. Like maybe I could, if it's all I did, Sure, but that's not a goal of mine. But what I do know I can do is like old man strength is a real thing, right? Oh. Like I can continue to get stronger. I'm positive. Yeah. I can keep getting stronger. Uh, I don't, I don't buy into the myth that you can't put on muscle and get stronger past 50. And so that that's where I start setting goals of like, how much more, you know, can I add, what can I lift? Sure you know, what, yeah. you know, or, you know, whether it's a technical lift or just, you know, raw strength, whatever it is. So, I mean, the transformation that we've seen personally, I still remember Tom, Tom Mulbiner, um, came to me at 59 years old, couldn't do, um, a muscle up. And now he's 65, 60, 64. Okay. You yeah. know, cause you've coached him, uh, and he can do 10 or more. Right. And it's just like, it's unbelievable to see that transformation. Granted, some of that is just experience, and, right. and it's not necessarily like as he's getting older, his capacity to do muscle ups is getting better. It's just because he's more experienced in CrossFit, but they're basically what we want people to do is to, to slow down a little bit on the, on the notion of like, well, I'm one year older, which means I'm one year less fit. Right. And it's just like, no, like there, there's, there's a lot of potential, especially if you have that, um, the ability to change your goals and realize like, oh, I can get stronger or I can get smarter in the workouts or I can I can work on my engine and not necessarily have to run all the time and, and have all that impact. There's so many different dials and levers that you can pull to continue to get more fit as you age. Yeah, I love that. My my dad's 76, maybe coming up on 77. Oh, Roy. And, oh, Roy. And he has a goal of a strict pull up. Let's go. I love oh. it. Perfect. And he's working hard at it, man. Like every time I see him, he's like, I'm going to get this strict pull up, you know, and he's strong as an ox. Like he can deadlift a lot and back squat a lot, but you know, pull ups, you know, he's, he's heavier than me and, and pull ups are hard, sure. you know, it's just a hard movement. And, but that's his goal, you know, and that's Amazing. what's going to make him happy. And, and I love that. And so I think this is all interconnected. So I really appreciate you talking about this CJ of this, you know, kind of path of how do you manage pain and how do you manage goals, you know, those things are connected and then age connects into mm -hmm. it. And it's just, it's a really interesting journey for all of us. I think that are, are trying to get better at this. So it's uh, I think you helped a lot of people. So thanks. For yeah, that. And, and then like the main thing, and I know CJ is a huge prone of this is like control what you can control <laughs> and you, you can't always control your, your output, but you can control your effort and you can control your mindset. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you aren't, you don't lift, the weight that you lifted before, um, if you're approaching it and you're, you're focusing on sleep, uh, which what, what was the saying that we used earlier today? It's like, you actually do not get any fitter in the gym. You get fitter, fitter after the gym, when you go to sleep. Um, and it's like all controlling all these different factors with your recovery 
all plays into controlling all the different factors that can help you continue to make progress. Even if the numbers are changing, um, you're controlling all the factors that are in your control to get fitter. Really, all I've learned tonight, Ben, is my nighttime routine of bourbon and Pornhub is not a good thing. That's what I've learned. <laughs> That's all I've learned. That's well, it. I think Pornhub would be okay if you put your blue blockers on. Oh, yeah. The, see? Perfect. There we go. Next. Nailed, totally fixed. Nailed it. Nailed it, CJ. Closed it. Closed it. We almost you... had a great podcast. <laughs> no, I like how you think it's good. So, no, this is great. And I appreciate you guys being on. Justine, I was just teasing you earlier. Everyone knows I'm old. You didn't like unleash a secret. So it was not, not a big deal. As a matter of fact, I was at the gym the other day and there were a couple of doctors there and they were talking and they were talking about uh, longevity and workouts and they were both getting really nerdy and I was just around them, you know, and one of them made some comment about, Oh, things are getting so much harder for me now that I'm aging. And I go, how old are you? And, and she goes, Oh, I'm 30. And I'm like, well, wait till you're 20 years older. She goes, how old are you? Do you mind if I ask? And I'm like, yeah, I'm 51. And she goes, Oh yeah, you're really on the decline. And she did this (laughs) with her hand, like, you know, did the hill thing with her hand. And I'm like, what the hell, bro? Like, what are you doing? Like, I felt really good about myself right up until this moment, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that notion, that idea. No. And I didn't mean oh, to insinuate that. that. No, no, no. To offend you, but like some of the fittest people that I know, like my brother-in-law is in his fifties, has gone to regionals. Like he can smoke me in any workout. Oh, like it's not offensive. It, it, it's matter of fact, it's a badge of honor for me. Like I, you know, I, I enjoy this age, you know, like I enjoy going, I, I did a workout this week with a 25 year old kid and I made it my goal to see how long I could keep up with him. It's fun, you know? And and, you know, it's fun to see the look on their faces when you're, it was a 10 round workout and I'm five rounds in and we're still kind of side by side. And you see that little flicker of worry. You know? <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh, that's the best. When you get that little flicker of worry, I think the old guy might beat me. So now I got to really kick it in. Oh, I love that. That would be me in any rowing wall ball workout with you, John. So I'm just going to make oh. sure we never do that together. Yeah, I love that. And those are my favorite movements. So that would be. Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll have to, we'll, we should redo. What was the open wide? Was no, it absolutely not. 19-1. No, 19-1. no, I quit that workout as soon as it, as soon as I was done, I was like, this is the last time I'll do that. Oh, I killed that one too. I will fully admit I killed I bet you that smoked workout. it. <laughs> I did. I absolutely smoked it. It was one of those workouts too, where it's like, it's in your wheelhouse and you can do it, but it really hurts. But wall balls and rowing are both movements that they don't hurt anymore from the first rep to the last rep. They just all hurt. <laughs> and so it's just really about being mentally tough and going, all yeah. right, I can just push, I can push through 19 reps or whatever it was. Yeah, it was 19 or 16 or something. 19. Yeah. 14. Yeah. It was something like that. It was like, it's enough reps that it was more than 10, you know, and like anything past 10, you got to really start thinking about how much longer do I want to do this? You know, <laughs> you do, but you can do a lot more than you think you can. Oh, definitely. You, you always can. And, uh, so I love those movements because most people, you know, myself included on most days just aren't, you know, don't have the mental toughness to go, all right, I'll do four more. They'd rather just drop, you know? So that was a fun one. So yeah, we'll do that one at some point. Yeah. Back, uh, this is an ode to, uh, you know, I used to a long time ago, follow CJ Martin's program Invictus, uh, and I've now become friends with CJ. He's a good, good guy, good coach, but he would always tell us, he's just like, you can always do 15 wall balls. Always. Yep. So I don't care how tired you are, you can do 15. And so he'd program them in these like ridiculously long EMOMs and they'd be 30 pounders or 25, it'd be like heavier wall balls. 
And I've never forget forgotten it. Here's here's like, how ruthless my original coaches were. So my coach is the same way. He would say to me, the first wall ball and the last wall ball feel exactly the same. You just think they don't. You know, hmm. and so our warm-up, this is our we're talking about warm-up. We did this last night. Talking about practice. Talking about practice, Ben. So in the warm-up, they would do um every 30 seconds you do eight wall balls and then you drop and we do that for four minutes. Now you do the math, but that's a, that's, you know, a 16 a minute, you know, and then at the end of the four minutes, no, we do it for eight minutes. Sorry. We do 16 a minute for eight minutes and then you get a two minute break and then you do max rep for one minute or until you drop. And so, because we're all stubborn, we just go until we couldn't drop. And so by the time you're done, you've basically done Karen you know, you've done 150 reps or whatever it worked out to be before you ever did the workout. <laughs> I mean, it was ruthless. That's called too much warm up. Yeah, it was a lot of warm up. They loved wall balls, loved them. Oh, but you know, you get good yeah, at them. And that's all we missed. warm up, CJ. 150 wall balls for a warm up. That's yeah, it was, well, you know, you get a little breaks here and there, though, CJ. So it's still warm up. And, you know, I'm a smart guy. I'm not using a 20 pound ball for that warm up because uh, I know what's coming. After the first time you do it, you're like, give me the 10 pounder. Let's go. <laughs> like, got it. it's a warm up, you know. But, you know, you do max reps with a 10 pounder, you're going to do 75 wall balls. Right. You know, it's easily. And, and it's not easily, but you would. And then all of a sudden, you've done a ton of squats. Like, it's, it'll warm you up. No doubt about it. So, mm-hmm. 200 reps warm anyone up for sure. I do not suggest it for whatever that's worth. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dr. Justine and CJ, I appreciate you guys being on. Big yeah, fun. Our that. first guest, Ben, our first guest. Really? Oh, what an honor. <laughs> they crushed it. They're so smart. I'm so happy they're here. Now we're going to go eat at a nice restaurant. That's why we're all dressed up. I'm, I wore Lululemon today, so I'm, this is pretty dressed up for me. That's very dressed up for you. I know I can, I knew you were because you keep flexing so you can show off your biceps to the camera. So He's people just watch sitting next to me and he looks much smaller. Yeah. So he has there to try. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys joining us. For everybody listening, we appreciate you guys joining us as well. Big fun. Uh, for everyone listening, again, send us your questions uh, via DM to the Scale and Bell Podcast Instagram uh, site. We love getting those. We're going to have a lot more questions coming up for future episodes. And uh, thanks for joining. Take care.